0: Well, good morning, everyone. How you doing? You dry off? You okay? Why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Jeremiah 31. And uh, as Josh has already told you today, we're, we're wrapping up our series called Formed, which is a series of studies in this Old Testament book, basically focusing on the, the theme of God's sovereignty, because uh, as God said to the prophet Jeremiah and as he said to the Israelites, can I not do with you as the potter does? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand. Translation, God says, I am in sovereign control, not only of human history, but of your very lives. I have a plan, I have a purpose for all of it, and I am forming you according to that plan. Now, if you've missed any of the series, just a quick recap. Uh, Jeremiah was a 6th century BC Jewish prophet called by God at a time in history uh, when the people of Israel were living in, in sinful, unrepentant rebellion. And um, and so God goes to this young man named Jeremiah and says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you. And uh, Jeremiah obeys. But the message God gave Jeremiah for Israel, uh, it was one of dire warning. Uh, It was one about the people's need to repent, uh, to turn from their sin and uh, and rebellion or face the consequences, uh, judgment, destruction, exile. And uh, that message was not particularly well received. It really angered the people and they took out their hostility on Jeremiah. In fact, last week, we heard Jeremiah say to God, he said, Lord, whenever I speak out for you, I'm, pr- I'm pronouncing you know, uh, violence and destruction. People, people hate me for it. They're, they're brutal to me. And it was true. It was true because so much of what God told Jeremiah to say was just, it was dismal. And the people didn't like it. And they didn't listen. And eventually the Babylonians do, in fact, um, invade the land, decimate Jerusalem, loot the temple, and carry thousands of Israelites uh, into captivity. And so up until this point in the book, um, not a lot of hope for the people. But starting in chapter 30, there's a bit of a shift that takes place, and God begins to speak words of consolation. Uh, Here in chapter 31 specifically, God has Jeremiah uh, announce to the people a message of hopeful expectation. God tells Jeremiah, he goes, look, go and tell the people this. Tell them, here's my plan, verse 31. Days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. This is the covenant I will make with the people. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest." For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. Now, let me just say uh, up front, full disclosure, Jeremiah is not a particularly easy book to teach out of. It's it's pretty challenging, and this section of Jeremiah uh, is historically and theologically complicated. Uh, And then on top of that, chapters uh, 30 and 31 are written almost entirely in ancient Hebrew A poetic form replete with similes and metaphors and all kinds of imagery i mean even in these four short verses we just read there's just a lot of stuff you know there's a lot of a lot of information a lot of things that we could latch on and and talk about but i want to try to focus our attention on this idea of a new covenant that god promises the people because ultimately that's what it's all about and again the nation of israel had rebelled against god they'd sinned they ignored his commands they worshiped false idols they refused to repent Uh, They violated, God says they broke the covenant they had with Him, and so they were suffering the the consequences of that unfaithfulness. And while the corporate culpability of the nation was important, God uh, also stressed individual responsibility. He says in verse 30 in this chapter, everyone will die for their own sin. Everyone will die for their own sin. But then immediately, in verse 31, God offers hope. Hope in what was to come. He says, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant With the people. And then he goes on to explain that it's going to be different from the one he had made with their ancestors when they came out of Egypt, which was known as the Sinai Covenant or the Mosaic Covenant, sometimes called the Old Covenant, uh, which was put into effect with the sacrificing of animals. Now something different was on the horizon. And through Jeremiah, God announces his plan of establishing a new covenant. And what's fascinating, at least to me, is that if you look carefully at, um, at the message here, you find that God reveals a great deal about, about this new covenant. And, and there were certain aspects to it uh, that, that are pretty important. For example, uh, the new covenant would be about reconciliation. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but God begins the message by referring to the people. Not my people, the people. Why does he do that? Because he does it because sin created the serious division be- between God and the people. You know there was some relational breakdown. Um, also, keep in mind that in Jeremiah's day, the nation of Israel itself was divided. The the twelve tribes were split. Uh, three of them were living in the north in the region known as Israel. The rest were living in the south in the region known as Judah. And so, when God says, "I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and end with the people of Judah," the implication is. Um, that through whatever he planned to do, these groups would be reconciled to God and to one another, and, uh, and they would become one people, i.e. this new covenant would remove the animosity that existed and bring all who were at odds together. Uh, it would also be about spiritual regeneration. God says, this is the covenant I will make with the people. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. In other words, whereas the old covenant was written on tablets of stone uh, intended to externally manage people's behavior, with the new covenant, God said he would give this people a new heart, new mind, meaning that their emotions, their, their thinking, their behavior, their lives would be truly changed, spiritually transformed, not from the outside in, but from the inside out, from the inside out. And with this new covenant would also come relational restoration. God says, "I will be their God, and they will be my people." Now, understand something: Israel, uh, Israel's breaking of the old covenant, their sin, their rebellion—you uh, know—it wasn't just—it wasn't just, a, it wasn't just a, a violation of a law that re- required required legal penalty. It was much more than that. It was it was the hurtful disruption of a relationship that now needed healing. The willful disloyalty of the people resulted in the kind of distance and brokenness that happens in a marriage when one spouse is unfaithful to the other. It's just devastating. In fact, God uses that imagery here, saying they broke the covenant, though I was a husband to them. I was faithful. God says they were not. And so what God intended to do was not only bring healing and restoration to that relationship, but uh, through this new covenant, form a new and deeper Level of intimacy. He says, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. Here's my Reiki translation. God says, when that new covenant is established, my people, my people won't have to be persuaded to get to know me. They will know me in the most personal and intimate way. See the uh, the Hebrew term and the Hebrew concept to know here in this context means, it means way more than facts and, and information. It's not just knowing God in some you know, academic, uh, theoretical, intellectual sense. It means more than that. It means knowing him also in a personal, experiential sense. Realize there's a massive difference between knowing about God and knowing God, right? A lot of people know about God. The issue is, do you really know him? And God says this new covenant would bring about that kind of knowledge, that level of closeness, that that intimacy would be available to everyone, to all the people, God says, from the least of them to the greatest, from the rich to the poor, from the powerful to the marginalized, everyone. And what would make that that possible? The final aspect of the new covenant, which is redemption. God makes a pretty significant promise here, right? He declares, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. And this this little word for at the beginning of the sentence reflects a Hebrew conjunction that grammatically links everything else to this declaration. Everything else, all the previous stated aspects of the New Covenant hinge on the fulfillment of this promise. Reconciliation, regeneration, restoration, intimacy will all be possible because of redemption. Divine forgiveness. Now, What about the nature of this new covenant? Now, let's think about that for a second. And you tell me, were the people of Israel asking for this? I mean, uh, were they they praying and pleading and crying out to God for some kind of new deal? No. They may have been praying for God to destroy the Babylonians or uh, to rebuild Jerusalem or bring back the exiles or get Jeremiah to stop talking for a few minutes, but uh, they weren't no, they weren't petitioning the Lord for a new covenant. No one was asking for that, which tells me that what God planned to do was gracious in nature. I mean, this alone was his idea. It was his idea to offer sinful, rebellious men and women not only what they weren't asking for, but what they did not deserve. And the only thing that would motivate God to extend such grace was love. That love, the new, the new covenant that God would make with his people is all about it. It was all about his intense love for them. Listen, this isn't isn't reading anything into the text because remember the imagery God uses here. He refers to himself as a husband to Israel. In fact, this marriage metaphor uh, was used by God the very first time he had Jeremiah say anything to the people. The first thing he has Jeremiah said all the way back in chapter 2 is to proclaim this. Jeremiah says, this is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me. God says, as a bride you loved me. But then you left me. And you followed other lovers. Pursued false gods. Worshipped idols. Clearly, the point of this marriage metaphor, which, by the way, runs throughout the book, uh, stresses the fact that God's intense love for his people, for his bride, if you will, never lessened, even in the wake of her unfaithfulness. I and mean, there's no mistaking it. The making of this new covenant reflected God's relentless and unwavering love. Therefore, the new covenant would also be merciful in nature. You guys know the difference between grace and mercy? We use those words a lot, right? And, and we tend to use them interchangeably, but they are, there is a nuanced difference to them. Uh, grace is giving you something you do not deserve. Mercy is not giving you something you do deserve. You follow that? And here, God mercifully promises not the ongoing judgment that sinful rebellion deserved, but with this new covenant would come forgiveness. Forgiveness. God's sovereign plan was to withhold from the people what they deserved and gift them with what they didn't. He says, a day is coming when I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. No more, which means what? It means the new covenant would be eternal in nature, forever secure, forever binding, never-ending forgiveness. I mean, that sounds like a pretty good deal to me. So how does this all come about? How does, how does this new covenant get established? And it seems, uh, it seems the text is pretty clear on not just how, but who establishes it. God alone does. God alone, right? Six times in four verses, God declares, I will. I will do it. He says, I will make, I will make, I will put, I will be, I will forgive, I will remember sin no more. Let's not miss the significance of that. God doesn't say to the people, you will do this. You will, you will, you will. God doesn't say, you and I together will make this happen. We will, we will, we will. No. God says, I alone will do it. I will do it all for you. Here's my Reiki summary. This new covenant God promised would be divinely established based on God's work alone, not on any effort, work, or moral performance of sinfully broken human beings. Now, that said, how was this deal sealed? How does God fulfill, finalize, and guarantee the new covenant? And the answer is he does it in and through Jesus. Through Jesus. This passage in Jeremiah is the longest sequence of Old Testament verses cited in its entirety in the New Testament. All of it's in there, and it's quoted for a good reason. In the New Testament book of Hebrews, which interestingly enough, opens by saying, in the past God spoke to people through the prophets and in many times in many ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. And the phrase there, these last days, is very similar to what God says in Jeremiah, the days are coming. And the author of Hebrews says, those days have arrived. And then the author goes on to write about Jesus and about God's promise of the New Covenant. And gets to chapter 8 of the book and, and finally comes to the conclusion and says this is the deal. Jesus is the mediator of the New Covenant, meaning Jesus fulfills it, he finalizes it, he guarantees it. How? Well just as the Old Covenant was put into effect through blood sacrifice, so would the New Covenant be put into effect through the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus. God said, I will do it. He said, I will do it. And he did. Deity came in the flesh to do the redemptive work we could never do, to bear the penalty for our wickedness so we can, we can be forgiven and our sins remembered no more. And keep in mind, just hours before his arrest and crucifixion, Jesus was sitting in Jerusalem with his closest friends, Matthew, Mark, John, all the rest, And they were celebrating Passover, and they were sharing the Passover meal, the Passover Seder, it's called, which is all about remembering God's covenant with his people, the old covenant, how they were saved out of Egypt through the blood sacrifice of an unblemished lamb whose blood was sprinkled on the doorposts of their homes. And uh, everything on the Passover table for the meal, everything on that table was symbolic. And uh, from that table, Jesus took matzah, unleavened bread, representing sinlessness, and he said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Then he took a cup of wine. And during the Seder meal, there are four cups of wine that you kind of measure in the meal by. The first cup is the cup of blessing. Then there's a the cup of joy. There's then a cup of redemption and the, the cup of praise. They're at the point of the meal where It's time for the cup of redemption, and that's the cup Jesus picks up, the cup of redemption. He gives it to his friends, and he says, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Are you guys getting the connection here? In Jesus, we see the good news of the new covenant. A deity come to do the work we could never do, offering the forgiveness we could never earn, and offering it not just to Israel, but to all people. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Now, I realize, I, I realize that's a lot of historical, theological, grammatical stuff to think about. So if you're, if you're struggling to grasp the big idea here, um, think of it this way. This might help. Uh, Dorothy Sayers was a very well-known British author in the early 20th century. She was one of the first women ever to go to Oxford University, and she became best known for writing a a series of mystery novels uh, about a guy named Lord Peter Whimsey. She wrote 12 books. And Whimsey was an aristocrat who was particularly adept at solving murder mysteries, and he lived his life single, alone, and often ill. Well, in book five of the series, which is this one, a new character gets uh, introduced to the story. It's a woman named Harriet Vane. And she was one of the first women ever to attend Oxford University. She was a writer of mystery novels. Long story short, she enters the narrative. Her and Whimsy meet, they fall in love, and get happily married. Now, think about that for a second. What did Dorothy Sayers do? Essentially, she looked into the world that she created. She sees a man she created who she loves, cares about, who's ill, who's lonely, and in need. So she writes herself into the story to love him, to care for him, and to fix his situation. That's what she does. Understand, that's exactly what God has done in the grand narrative of human history. He has looked into the world that he created. He he sees us. He sees humanity in desperate need of help and rescue, and he writes himself into the story. He comes to sacrifice himself for those he loves, paying the penalty for our rebellion, forgiving our wickedness, and remembering our sins no more. So let's try and summarize all this. God promises a new covenant to those who didn't deserve it. It's a covenant that offers reconciliation, regeneration, restoration, intimacy, redemption, eternal forgiveness to the least and to the greatest. It's gracious, it's loving, it's merciful in nature. God and God alone establishes it and in Jesus fulfills it, finalizes it, and guarantees it through his sacrifice. Forgiving our wickedness, remembering our sin no more. Now you tell me, what else needs to be done? What else needs to be done? Nothing. Nothing, except we believe. Do you? I want to give you some time to think about whether you do or not, and give you the opportunity, perhaps for the first time, to say, "I do believe." We're going to um, the band's going to come back out, and um, we're going to just give you a few minutes. Um, to think, think about that, maybe to pray a little bit and decide what it is you believe and perhaps for the first time uh, make, a, make a public declaration of that by, by getting up and receiving communion. Uh, we have communion stations in the corners of the, the room. You can go up, receive the bread and, 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 the, uh, and, and the cup, dip it in the cup and receive the communion. The symbols of the new covenant, the body of Christ, the blood of Christ shed for you. And maybe this is the first time, you know, for you that it has meaning finally. That's awesome. Or maybe you're not quite sure yet. You're still struggling to understand. No pressure. You don't, you don't, have, to, you don't have to come up. No, ju- no judgment. But uh, if you know Jesus as Savior, then come and receive uh, communion. And if this is your first time understanding it and wanting, wanting to say, I believe, then you come as well. Okay, If you can't get to a table, just raise your hand. Someone around you will help you. They'll bring bring it to you. Okay? Let me pray for us. Our Father, there is good news in this new covenant. Uh, The news that um, we, we we have no role to play in it except to believe. You promised to do it all. And in Jesus, you have fulfilled that promise. The new covenant brings us reconciliation with you. It brings us restoration. It brings us us intimacy. It brings us redemption and forgiveness that is eternal, eternal, and we're grateful for it. And I'm reminded of how Jesus promised his followers that when they would believe, your hands would wrap around them and no one and nothing could ever snatch snatch us from your hand. May we we contemplate that reality this morning. And as we receive the symbols of this new covenant, may we say thank you with all of our hearts and minds and strength. We offer you this time and we give you thanks in Jesus name, amen. You see why the good news is so good? It's it's not about what you do, God said. I will do it all. I will take I will take care of it. I'll establish this new covenant myself. I will come and be sacrificed for you. That was fulfilled in Jesus. It's not it's not based on your work. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on your goodness. It's based on your faith. Believe, and uh, you receive forgiveness, eternal forgiveness. And that's what it means to be a Christian. And uh, no, I, hope, I hope you I hope you know that. And here's the other part of that good news, because it's it's based on nothing you do. Once you believe, there's nothing you can do to lose it. In theology, that's called eternal security. So that's also part of the deal. Uh, I want to invite you back uh, over the next couple weeks as we head toward Easter. As Josh Josh mentioned a little earlier, you know sometimes we can get you know thrown off by the holidays and everything that's going on, and we just want to refocus our attention on really who Jesus is, the real Jesus. Not a 21st century Western image of Jesus, but the real, the real Jesus. So we're going to start doing that next Sunday. We're going to build to Easter. And we're going to have a great weekend celebration. Okay? Just stand with me, and uh, we'll be dismissed. If you have, if you have something you need to talk to someone about, like if you just had a hard, hard week, we have some of our, our prayer team folks will be down here in the front. Also, uh, if you're, if you're struggling with some stuff in life and um, you just you need someone to talk to, or you or or you want um. You want to talk about more about what it means to be a Christian or uh, maybe you just had a great week and you want to tell somebody, they're all down here for you, okay? So let me pray for us and then we're done. Now, Father, I pray that as we go from here, uh, we would go with uh, great joy and, and confidence and a sense of security knowing that you've done all the work for us, believing in Jesus guarantees our forgiveness and life eternal. May we live our lives now in such a way that we point people to you, the God who loves them. And uh, we look forward to Easter. And uh, I pray that you'd be with us in the weeks ahead as we learn and grow together. Now may your hand of peace and rest rest on your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here, folks. See you next week.